السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد الکریم اما بعد فعود بلّہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری و یسر علی امری وحل العقدم السانی یفقہ قولی ربنا زدنا علما اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم انشاءاللہ we will study the same hadith the last hadith of kitab al-wahi and inshallah we will go over the explanation of this hadith Allahumma salli ala muhammadin wa ala ali muhammadin kama sallayta ala ibrahim wa ala ali ibrahim innaka hamidun majid Allahumma barik ala muhammadin wa ala ali muhammadin kama barakta ala ibrahim wa ala ali ibrahim انك حميد مجيد حدثنا ابو اليمان الحكم ابن نافع ابو اليمان الحكم ابن نافع هي نيرتته امام بخاري سو so, امام بخاري از تيكينج ذس حديث فروم الحكم ابن نافع قال اخبرنا شعيب شعيب انفورمد اس فروم هو عن الزهري فروم الزهري اف يو نوتس ات ذا اند اوف ذا حديث اف يو جو اول ذا واي ات ذا اند رايت ات ذا اند اوف ذا حديث It says, رَوَاهُ صَالِحُ بْنُ كَيْسَانِ وَيُونُسُ وَمَعْمَرٌ عَنِ الزُّهْرِي At the end of the hadith, Imam Zuhri is mentioned again. And three other narrators are mentioned who narrated the hadith from Az-Zuhri. And over here, who took the hadith from Az-Zuhri? So Shu'ayb took the hadith from Az-Zuhri as well. And there are three other narrators who took the hadith from Az-Zuhri as well. So in the knowledge of Imam Bukhari, he knows that at least four people narrated this hadith from Imam Az-Zuhri. So imagine the strength of the chain. He's mentioning one over here, but at the end he's mentioning three other narrators from Imam Az-Zuhri. قَالَ أَخْبَرَنِي عُبَيْدُ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنِ عُتْبَةَ إِبْنِ مَسْعُودٍ أَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَبَّاسٍ أَخْبَرَهُ So Abdullah ibn Abbas, he is narrating the hadith from who? أَنَّ أَبَا سُفْيَانَ بْنَ حَرْبٍ أَخْبَرَهُ Abu Sufyan, he is the one who narrated this to who? Abdullah ibn Abbas. And what did he say? That أَنَّ أَرُسَلَ إِلَيْهِ فِي رَكْبٍ مِّنْ قُرَيْشٍ That Heraclius had sent for him while he was in a camel caravan of Quraysh. Heraclius, Heracl, had sent for who? Who had he called for? Abu Sufyan. Now, Heraclius or Heracl, this is the name of the Roman king. Heracl is his actual name. It's not his title. It's his name, Heracl. And this Roman king was... the king of the Byzantine Empire from 610 to 641 AD. And his title was Qaisar. In Arabic, what's the title? Qaisar. Qaf ya sad ra. Qaisar. And in the English language, it's known as Caesar. C-A-E-S-A-R. This is just as the Persian kings, their title was Cyrus, right? The Abyssinian kings, their title was Negus, Najashi. And... The Egyptian kings at the time of Musa a.s., their title was Fir'aun. So the title is different from the actual name. His name is Hiraqal and his title is Qaisar. Now many people, they get confused between Hercules and Heraclius. They think that Hercules and Heraclius are the same. They're not. Hercules, according to Greek mythology, is their god. Hercules is the name of a Greek god in their mythology. And this is Heraclius, Hiraqal. All right? There are two completely different individuals of history. And by the way, Hercules is known to be a person before and according to their mythology, when he died, he became a god. 
So anyway, they two are completely different. Because many times when you're typing this word, in, for example, a Word document, you'll see a red underline. So when people right-click, they find Hercules. That's different. Okay? The two are completely different. So Hiraqul, he called for Abu Sufyan. And Abu Sufyan was in what? Fi Rakbim min Quraysh. He was in a camel caravan. And it is said that these people were around 30 in number. So 30 people of the Quraysh had gone to Asham for their trade journey. And وَكَانُوا تِجَارٌ بِالشَّامِ فِي الْمُدَّةِ الَّتِي كَانُوا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ مَادَّ فِيهَا أَبَا سُفْيَانَ وَكُفَّارُ قُرَيْشٍ They were merchants doing business in Asham. What is Asham? Asham, this is the area comprising present-day Syria, as well as Palestine, as well as Lebanon, as well as Jordan. So today, Asham includes what? Syria, Palestine, Lebanon, as well as Jordan. So don't think Asham to be only Syria. No. At that time, Asham referred to all of these four countries. Right? The entire region. So they were in Asham and they were doing business over there. At which time? At the time when Allah's Messenger wasallam, had a truce. Which truce is this? Which treaty is this? Of Hudaybiyah. With Abu Sufyan and the disbelievers of Quraysh. So they went to Heraclius where? فَأَتَوْهُ وَهُمْ So they came to Heraclius at Ilia. Now, this shows that this incident took place after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Remember that before the treaty, the Muslims in Medina and the Kuffar in Makkah, constantly they were fighting one battle after the other. Since the Prophet ﷺ had migrated, so many battles already taken place, and not just the battles, but even small conflicts had taken place. And constantly both parties felt threat from the other. Now, after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, there was peace in the region. And because of that peace, what happened? The Prophet ﷺ, he sent letters to the neighboring empires, the kings of the neighboring empires. And on the other hand, the Quraysh, what did they do? They resumed their trade journeys very peacefully. Because remember the Battle of Badr, why did that take place? Their trade caravan was coming back to Makkah. Isn't it so? And they felt the threat that the Muslims are going to attack. So they sent an army to protect their caravan. So you can imagine how Trade was not easy anymore for the Quraysh even. So once the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was in effect, what happened? The Quraysh, they set out for their trade journeys. And it is said that Abu Sufyan, it is reported by Ibn Ishaq, that he said that we were a trade-faring people and the wars with the Muslims had consumed us. So when the truce of Al-Hudaybiyah was in effect, I set out as a merchant to Asham with a group of other Qurayshis. By Allah, I don't know of any man or woman in Makkah except that they sent me with their goods for trade. So it was a huge trade caravan. Almost every individual in Makkah, man and woman, they sent their goods with this group so that they could bring back profit for them. And it is said that even women, they sent their gold jewelry along with this trade caravan. Why? Because everybody wanted more because they hadn't had good trade for a very, very long time. So it is said that while they were in Asham, Abu Sufyan said that Heraclius said to his police chief, turn Asham upside down until you bring a man from his people. Whose people? The people of Prophet ﷺ. So that I may inquire about him. So Abu Sufyan said, by Allah, I and my group were at Gaza in Palestine when the police chief caught us and took us all to the royal court. So we see that Hiraqul had sent his people to find some people from Arabia so that they could come to him and he could Ask them about the Prophet ﷺ. Now the question is that why did Hiraqul want to investigate about the Prophet ﷺ? Remember that after the Hadith Imam Bukhari reports the incident that has been narrated by 
Ibn Nadur or Ibn Natur. And Heraclius, he, as we know, was someone who practiced Ilm al-Najum. He believed in the stars. And through that, he had come to know that the people who practiced circumcision, their kingdom had risen. Isn't it so? As we learn at the end of this hadith. And also, he had received the letter of the Prophet ﷺ. So these two incidents had already taken place. What two? That through his ilm al-Najum, he was afraid that his kingdom was going to collapse very soon. And this kingdom of the people who practiced circumcision was going to rise. And secondly, he had received the letter of the Prophet ﷺ inviting him to Islam. So he didn't just want to accept, he didn't just want to submit, he wanted to know, he wanted to investigate the matter of the Prophet ﷺ very seriously. So you can say as a part of his research, as a part of his investigation, he wanted to ask who? The people of Arabia about the Prophet ﷺ. He wanted to get first-hand information about the Prophet ﷺ. And this is why he sent his police chief where throughout his empire to look for anyone from Arabia, so that he could question them about the Prophet ﷺ. And we see that the caravan in which Abu Sufyan was, they were brought to Heraclius where? Wahum bi Ilya, In Ilya. And what is Ilya? Ilya is Jerusalem, you can say. It means the house of Allah, and it's known as, obviously, where was it? In Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem it was that Abu Sufyan and his companions were brought and the incident that is mentioned in this hadith took place. And later on, what happened was that Hiraql, he left Ilya and went to Hims, and over there he received the letter of his companion. Inshallah, I will tell you about that as we study the hadith. So, فَأَتَوْهُ وَهُمْ بِإِلْيَا فَدَعَاهُمْ فِي مَجْلِسِهِ وَحَوْلَهُ عُظَمَاءُ الرُّومِ Heraclius called them in his court, and he had Roman governors around him. And in Sahih al-Bukhari, in Kitab al-Jihad, it is narrated, the same hadith, but a slightly different version, that Abu Sufyan said that we entered upon him while he was sitting in his royal court, wearing a crown. So over here, the crown is not mentioned, but over there, what is mentioned? That when they went to him, he was wearing a crown. And in the narration of Ibn Sakan, it is mentioned that he had his state dignitaries, as well as his religious scholars, as well as his ascetics near him. So over here it's only the elite, meaning the dignitaries, but elsewhere we also learn that he had all sorts of people with him in his court. The priests, as well as the ascetics, as well as the, you can say, people who were high up in, in the government. So he had all sorts of people over there. So then what happened? Then he called for them and also his translator. Why did he need a translator? Because Hiraqal did not know Arabic. And obviously, Abu Sufyan and his people also, they did not speak their language. So what happened? فَقَالَ أَيُّكُمْ أَقْرَبُ نَسَبًا بِهَذَا الرَّجُلِ الَّذِي يَزْعُمُ أَنَّهُ النَّبِيِّ That he asked that whom amongst you is the closest in relationship to this man who claims to be a prophet. So Abu Sufyan, فَقَالَ أَبُو Sufyan, فَقُلْتُ أَنَا أَقْرَبُهُمْ نَسَبًا So Abu Sufyan responded that I am closest to him in kin, in relationship. Now, Abu Sufyan, how was he closest to the Prophet ﷺ in kin, in relationship? The fourth ancestor of the Prophet ﷺ, as well as Abu Sufyan, was the same. And who was that? Who was that? Does anyone know? Abd Munaf. Both of them were from Banu Abdul Munaf, the sub-clan of Quraysh. And Abd Munaf is the fourth ancestor of the Prophet ﷺ, as well as of Abu Sufyan. And Abd Munaf's son, who was Hashim, 
he is the great grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ. And Abd Munaf's other son, who was Abd Shams, he was a great grandfather of Abu Sufyan. So in a way, obviously both were very close to each other in terms of lineage. Now, why would Hiraqul ask for the person who was closest to the Prophet ﷺ in lineage? Why do you think so? Why not just any man from the Arabs? Why the closest relative to him? It would prevent Abu Sufyan from criticizing the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Because if he was criticizing him, he was in fact criticizing himself. Right? If he would criticize the lineage, the family of the Prophet ﷺ, he would be criticizing himself. And remember that the Arabs, if somebody belonged to their tribe, right, they were to support them and honor them, even if they were the greatest criminals in their own sight. Isn't it so? So this is why Hiraqul asked for the one who was closest to the Prophet ﷺ in kinship. And also if you think about it, someone who is closer to you, meaning he's your relative, does he not know you more? Of course, he knows about your personal affairs, he knows about your external affairs, isn't it so? Your public affairs. So these are the two reasons that the scholars suggest why Hiraqul asked for the closest relative to the Prophet ﷺ. So, فَقَالَ So he said, meaning Hiraqul, he said, أَدُنُوهُ minni. Bring him close to me. Bring who close to me? Abu Sufyan, the one who is closest. وَقَرِّبُوا أَصْحَابَهُ فَجَعَلُوهُمْ عِنْدَ ظَهْرِهِ And let his companions come forward and place them by his back. Why bring Abu Sufyan close to Hiraqal? So that both could be face to face. Because you can imagine a court, you know, especially the court of a king is huge. So he wanted Abu Sufyan to be very close to him. And why is it that he placed the companions of Abu Sufyan behind him? Why? Hiraqul is standing here. In front of him, Abu Sufyan is standing facing Hiraqul. And behind Abu Sufyan are the rest of the people of that caravan. Why behind Abu Sufyan? That if Abu Sufyan said something incorrect, if he lied, then his companions would not feel, you know, embarrassed or guilty in correcting or in denying Abu Sufyan. Because you see what happens is that if you are looking at your friend and your friend can see you and you're speaking against them, you know, you don't have that confidence. Isn't it so? So in a way, they were able to speak up against Abu Sufyan if the need was there. And then Hiraqul, he said, ثُمَّ Then he said to his interpreter, تَرْقُلْ لَهُمْ Say to them, tell them, tell who? Abu Sufyan's companions, that إِنِّي سَائِلٌ هَذَا الرَّجُلُ That I will ask questions from this man, which man? Abu Sufyan, or عَنْ هَذَا الرَّجُلُ Meaning about the Prophet ﷺ. فَإِنْ كَذَبَنِي فَكَذِّبُوهُ So if he lies, then deny what he says. If he lies to me, then you have to deny what he says. So Abu Sufyan, he said, فَوَاللَّهِ لَوْلَ الْحَيَاءُ مِنْ أَنْ يَأْثِرُ عَلَيَّ كَذِبًا لَكَذَبْتُ عَنْهُ By Allah, had I not been afraid of my companions exposing my lies, I would have lied about him. Look at his statement. That if... I had not been afraid of my companions exposing my lies, I would have lied against the Prophet ﷺ. You see, the Arabs of Jahiliyyah, they also did not like Kadib at all. Who lied amongst them? Someone who was a coward. It wasn't someone who was a noble, someone who was dignified. Lying did not suit him. And Abu Sufyan did not want to be known as a liar. He did not want lying, the act of lying, to be ascribed to him. And this is what prevented him from lying. So it's as though he did not want his image, his reputation to be destroyed. Why? Because he had self-respect. 
Yes, he did not like the Prophet ﷺ. He opposed the Prophet ﷺ. But he still had some self-respect. Which is why he did not want to be known as a liar. And this is something amazing. That the Arabs of Jahiliyyah had this much sense at least. But it's unfortunate that today as Muslims, we don't even have this much self-respect. That just to preserve our reputation, just to preserve our image, you know, we abstain from lying. But it's unfortunate that this haya is not amongst Muslims anymore. So Abu Sufyan, he wanted to lie. He desired. But he did not do so out of embarrassment or out of shyness, out of haya, out of self-respect. So the first question that he was asked, ثُمَّ كَانَ أَوَّلَ مَا سَأَلَنِي عَنْهُ The first question that Hiraqul asked Abu Sufyan about the Prophet ﷺ was, أَنْ قَالَ كَيْفَ نَسَبُهُ فِيكُمْ What is his family status amongst you? How is his lineage amongst you? قُلْتُ I said, هُوَ فِينَا ذُو نَسَبٍ He belongs to a good family amongst us. Meaning he is of good lineage amongst us. He is of a of noble lineage. Now why would Hiraqul ask about the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ? Did that really matter? If he wanted to investigate if he wanted to research about the Prophet ﷺ, the truthfulness of the Prophet ﷺ, why did his lineage matter? Two reasons. First of all, that at that time, the lineage of a person mattered a lot. The lineage of a person is what decided the status, the social status of a person. The lineage was noble, the social status was also high. If the lineage was not that great, the social status was not that great either. Today what matters? Your education, your work, your money. Isn't it so? But at that time, even money did not matter much. What mattered most was the lineage of a person. And specifically this was amongst the Arabs. And besides this, the family of a person, doesn't it affect the upbringing of a person? It does. It affects his thinking. It affects his behavior. It affects his Outlook on life, it affects what he does. So this is why Hiraqul was inquiring about the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ, that if he is of noble lineage, then he would not do something that is wrong. Then he would have this self-respect that why would I do something wrong and stain my image or stain my lineage or my family or my tribe. Do you understand? So the lineage, the family of a person prevented him from doing wrong things. And it definitely has an effect on a person. So this is the reason why he asked him. Then, قَالَ فَهَلْ قَالَ هَذَا الْقَوْلَ مِنْكُمْ أَحَدٌ قَطُّ قَبْلَهُ He said, has anybody amongst you, meaning the Quraysh or the Arabs, has anyone amongst you ever claimed the same before him? Meaning, has anyone ever claimed to be a prophet before him? قُلْتُ لَا I said no. So what did Hiraqul mean by this question? That has anyone else claimed this before him? Meaning, is this like a tradition amongst you? Is this like a custom amongst you that every now and then somebody claims to be a prophet? Or is this completely new? Because if it has happened before, then this man could be just, you know, imitating others. But if it has never happened before, then it needs some attention. Then we must pay some attention to this. And we know that before the Prophet ﷺ was any messenger sent to the Arabs after Ibrahim ﷺ, after Ismail ﷺ? No. This is why they were known as Ummiyin, the unlettered people, because no messenger was sent to them, no kitab was sent to them. And on the other hand, the Bani Israel, several messengers were sent to them as well as books were given to them. They were known as Ahlul Kitab. And the Arabs were known as Ummiyin. Ahlul Kitab, knowledgeable people. These people, who are they? Unlettered. So then, 
He said, قَالَ فَهَلْ كَانَ مِنْ أَبَائِهِ مِنْ مَلِكِ He said, was anybody amongst his ancestors a king? قُلْتُ لَا I said, no, no one was a king amongst them. قَالَ فَأَشْرَافُ النَّاسِ يَتَّبِعُونَهُ أَمْ ضُعَفَاؤُهُمْ He asked, so do the nobles of the people or the weak among them follow him? فَقُلْتُ So I said, بَلْ ضُعَفَاؤُهُمْ Rather, it is the weak of them. Now, tell me something. Was it really only the weak people who followed the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca? No. Who else followed him? Abu Bakr anhu. He wasn't a weak person. Umar anhu. He wasn't a weak person. So why is it that Abu Sufyan replied, it's the weak people who follow him? Because the majority was of the weak people. And besides, the Ashraf, they're also known as people, especially in that society, people who were arrogant, people who were oppressive, people who were very unjust. But we see that those who followed the Prophet ﷺ, even if they were wealthy, even if they were powerful, were they arrogant? No. Were they unjust? No. So this is what could be understood as du'afa'uhum. Qala ayazidun am yanqusun. So he said, are they increasing or are they decreasing? His followers, are they increasing in numbers or are they decreasing? Qultu bal yazidun. I said rather they are increasing. Meaning every day more and more people accept his faith. Qala fahal yartaddu ahadun minhum sakhtatan lidinihi ba'da an yadkhula fihi? Qultu la. He said so does any one of them apostatize out of displeasure for his deen after embracing it? So I replied, no. Now, this is the case, that anyone who accepted Islam did not leave Islam out of sakhtatan lidinihi, out of displeasure for the deen. Out of saying that, no, this deen, no, it doesn't make any sense. This this deen doesn't satisfy me. There are too many contradictions or so on. And so. No, there was no one who ever did this. However, we know about one person, Ubaidullah ibn Jahsh. When he was in Makkah, he embraced Islam, but he went to Abyssinia. What happened? He became a Christian. But did he become a Christian out of sakhtatan for Islam? No, he became a Christian out of greed, out of worldly benefit. Not out of sakhtatan lidinihi. This is why Abu Sufyan said, no. So then, he said, qala, فَهَلْ كُنْتُمْ تَتَّهِمُونَهُ بِالْكَذِبِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَقُولَ مَا قَالْ قُلْتُ لَا He said, Have you ever accused him of telling lies before he said what he said? Meaning before he claimed to be a prophet? So Abu Sufyan replied, No, we have never accused him of lying before. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he was known as As-Sadiq Al-Ameen, even before he became a prophet. And afterwards, even people did trust him. Which is why when he was migrating, he had several trusts of the people with him, which he handed over to Ali radhi anhu and then he migrated to Medina. So it shows that the mushrikeen of Makkah, even though they did not believe in the Prophet ﷺ, they acknowledged his truthfulness. They acknowledged his honesty. And what Abu Sufyan said over here is also a testament to that. And then, قَالَ فَهَلْ يَغْدِرُ قُلْتُ لَا وَنَحْنُ مِنْهُ فِي مُدَّةٍ لَا نَدْرِي مَا هُوَ فَاعِلٌ فِيهَا He said, does he betray? Meaning, does he ever break his promises? Meaning Muhammad ﷺ. So Abu Sufyan replied, no. But we are in a truce. And which truce is this referring to? The sulh of Hudaybiyah with him. But we do not know what he will do in it. We do not know whether he will fulfill his promise or whether he will betray. We do not know whether he will abide by the treaty or he will break it. He will go against the rules. We do not know. And Abu Sufyan said, قَالَ وَلَمْ تُمْكِنِّي كَلِمَةٌ أُدْخِلُ فِيهَا شَيْئًا غَيْرُ هَذِهِ الْكَلِمَةِ Abu Sufyan said that I could not find any opportunity to insert anything except that. 
Meaning the only negative thing that he could say about the Prophet ﷺ was this. The only thing that he could say to dent the Prophet ﷺ's character was only this, that we don't know what he will do in the future. But notice how Hiraqal, he doesn't you know, ask him anything about this, and what do you mean, what treaty is this, and what do you fear from him? No, he completely disregards what Abu Sufyan said. Because he moves on to his next question immediately. Why? Because Hiraqal, he was more interested in the past and present reputation and character and manner of the Prophet ﷺ. Not about the future. Because you don't know about the future. You judge a person according to how he has been in the past and how he is at present. Because in the future, really, you don't know. A person who is untrustworthy could become very loyal and honest with you. And completely opposite things could happen. So Hiraqal does not pay any attention to what Abu Sufyan said. But it just shows that the enemies of the Prophet ﷺ also recognized how good the Prophet ﷺ was. That they could not say anything negative about him even though they tried their best. Just imagine. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved his religion through a very honest, trustworthy messenger. وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ He was really Rasulun Amin that no one could say anything against him. And you see, this is something very important that we must be very careful about as well. When we study Islam, when we study the deen, people don't look at what we are doing or you know the effort that we're putting in. What do they look at? Our character, our manner. And they will not think about you know, she's upset because she's had such a long day. She's upset because she's going through such a difficult time. No, they will say she's upset and look at her, she studies the Qur'an. The Qur'an has not affected her even a little. People become very judgmental. They connect anything and everything you do with your deen. This is why we have to be extra, extra careful. Because when you do something good, you're presenting a good image of the deen. And when you do something bad, you're presenting a bad image of the deen even though your actions may have nothing to do with the deen. This is why we have to become extremely careful, and especially all of us sitting over here, you know, studying at the advanced level, we have to become even more careful with our actions, with our behavior, with our family members as well as outsiders. So then his next question was that, قَالَ فَهَلْ قَاتَلْتُمُوهُ Have you ever fought him? Have you ever had battles with him? قُلْتُ نَعَمْ I said, yes, we have fought with him. So قَالَ فَكَيْفَ كَانَ قِتَالُكُمْ إِيَّاهُ How has been your fighting with him? قُلْتُ الْحَرْبُ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَهُ سِجَالِ يَنَالُ مِنَّا وَنَنَالُ مِنْهُ He said, Abu Sufyan replied, War is sijal between us and him. He suffers at our hand and we suffer at his hand. Meaning, sometimes we win and sometimes he. قَالَ مَاذَا يَأْمُرُكُمْ What does he order you to do? What does he command you to do? What are his teachings? قُلْتُ يَقُولُ أُعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَحْدَهُ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا He says, worship Allah alone and do not associate any partners with Him. وَتْرُكُوا مَا يَقُولُ آبَاؤُكُمْ And leave whatever your forefathers say. وَيَأْمُرُنَا بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالصِّدِقِ وَالْعَفَافِ وَالصِّلَةِ And He orders us with salah and truthfulness and chastity as well as joining relationships. Now, Abu Sufyan mentioned that he tells us to leave all that our forefathers used to do. Is that true? Did the Prophet ﷺ actually say that leave whatever your forefathers used to do? No. You know, there are some people who say today that Islam came to stop us from following our forefathers. We should not follow them. So these pious predecessors that you follow, this is wrong. They say Islam tells us we should not be following the people of the past. 
our forefathers. So this first generation of Muslims, the Sahaba, and the second generation of the Muslims, the Tabi'een, the third generation of the Muslims, the Tabar Tabi'een, they're who? People of the past. So you're not supposed to follow them. But is that true? No, you're not understanding it in the right way. When Islam forbids us from following our forefathers, this is not mutlaqan. Meaning this is not like, don't follow them in any respect. This way they used to eat, you don't eat. Hmm? They used to travel, you don't travel. No, this is not what our deen tells us. Our deen tells us don't follow them in the wrong things that they do. So anyway, if you look at it, many things that the mushtikin would do, which were good, isn't it that we were encouraged to do the same things? Like for example, hospitality, silatul rahim. This was a great virtue for the Arabs. And look at how much it is emphasized in our deen as well. Being good to the neighbor, being hospitable to the guest, being truthful, being honest. All of these are virtues that the Arabs recognized and also that our deen has also emphasized greatly. Similarly, we see that the mushrikeen, they used to perform hajj. Do we not perform hajj? Yes, we do. But whatever wrong things that they did, the Prophet ﷺ told us to leave that. Isn't it so? Similarly, we see that in Arabia, the women, they would actually cover themselves with a big shawl. But how would they cover themselves? They would put a shawl on their heads and they would throw it back and show off their neck and their jewelry and their adornment. So our deen, what does it teach us? That when you wear that shawl, what should you do? Cover yourself from the front as well. So there are many things that the mushrikeen used to practice. They were good and Islam retained them. In fact, we were encouraged to do them. But the wrong things that they did, we were told to leave them out completely, not even go near them. And in the Qur'an, wherever we are told, do not follow our forefathers or to not follow our leaders, this is not general. This is only in the matters where they tell us to do what is wrong. Whether it is your parents or it is your society or it is your leader or it is your king, in any respect, you don't follow them when they tell you to do something wrong. In the Quran, we have been told so many times to follow the example of who? Ibrahim alayhi salam. Millata abikum. Ibrahim. Millata abikum. Your father. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say abikum? Because the righteous forefathers, the righteous predecessors, we are to follow them. Similarly, we see that at the time when Yaqub alayhi salam was about to die, he asked his sons, Ma ta'abuduna min ba'di. What did they say? Qalu na'budu ilahaka wa ilaha abaika. So we see that there's following of forefathers over there as well. But obviously it is in the matters which are right and good. So we see over here that Abu Sufyan, he tells us to leave all that our forefathers used to do. Why do you think Abu Sufyan would say that? Why do you think he would say that? Because Hiraqal and his people, what were they also doing? Following their forefathers blindly. So when he said that, oh, Muhammad ﷺ tells us not to follow our forefathers, then in a way he's taking the sympathy of Hiraqal. Now, we see over here that Hiraqal asked several questions from Abu Sufyan. How many are they? Eleven. He asked a total of eleven questions. And these questions, what do they show about Hiraqal? That he was a very intelligent person. Because the questions of a person, what do they reflect? His mental level. They reflect his sharpness. They reflect his intelligence. So all of these questions about his lineage, about whether somebody had made such a claim before him, whether he betrays, hmm, whether they have accused him of lying, how his followers are, if they're increasing or decreasing, whether any one of his followers leaves the religion afterwards. All of these questions, they show the intelligence of this man. But it's amazing. 
that he asked all of these questions. And what he inferred from the information that was given to him, as we learn in the hadith, that it shows that he recognized the truthfulness of the Prophet ﷺ. Despite that, he did not believe. Despite that, he did not accept. So did his intelligence help him? No. You will come across people who are highly intelligent, who have a very positive attitude towards Islam, towards Muslims. But yet, they will not believe. Yet, they will not accept. They are intelligent. So it's as though they are ذَكِيٌّ intelligent, but غَيْرُ ذَكِي Yet, they are unintelligent. The heart is not opened up. They are intelligent, but they're not truly intelligent. Because truly intelligent is who? The person who accepts and submits. The munafiqeen, what did they say about the believers? أَنُؤْمِنُ كَمَا آمَنَ السُّفَهَا What does Allah say? أَلَا إِنَّهُمْ هُمُ السُّفَهَا وَمَنْ يَرْغَبُ عَمْ مِلَّةِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ إِلَّا مَنْ سَفِهَ نَفْسَهَ The one who understands everything. He has done so much research. He has investigated the matter thoroughly. Yet, after acquiring all that information and understanding, if he doesn't accept, then he is not intelligent. Intelligent is the one who submits and accepts. Because the way Hiraqul investigated the matter of the Prophet ﷺ over here, and the reason why Imam Bukhari is mentioning this here is to prove the truthfulness of wahi through secular sources. Do you understand? Because in this book, Imam Bukhari has mentioned many, many things which prove the truthfulness of the Prophet ﷺ, but amongst them he mentions the incident with Hiraqul, despite the fact that Hiraqul did not accept Islam. Why? To show that even non-Muslims, they recognize the truthfulness of the Prophet ﷺ. Therefore, wahi is true. Now you see why this hadith is mentioned over here? The jinn, they found the Prophet ﷺ as well. Hiraqul, he believed in ilmun nujum. And we know that ilmun nujum is haram. He was a Christian, he never accepted. Yet through that, he got to the Prophet ﷺ. So it's amazing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses people who are not even Muslim, who don't even accept to preserve his religion. To serve his religion, it's amazing. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses other people as well. وَإِن تَتَوَلَّوْ يَسْتَبْدِلْ قَوْمًا غَيْرَكُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَكُونُوا أَمْسَالَكُمْ Obviously it refers to Muslims over there. But in this is a threat to us that if we don't serve the deen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need us. That we see that Hiraqul, the truth was very clear to him as we will read later on in this hadith as well as the incident that Imam Bukhari mentions afterwards. You know, the truth was very evident to him. He, you know, sent a letter to his friend as well, right? Hiraqul did. He investigated so much. But at the end, why did he not believe? Because of the fear of people, because of the fear of losing his dunya. And you see, the reason why he was doing all of this investigation was to secure his kingdom as well. Because as we will learn later, when one day he woke up and he was very upset and the people asked him, what's wrong with you? He said that last night when I looked into the stars, I learned that the people who practice circumcision, their kingdom has risen, meaning they have conquered us, right? They have become victorious over us. So he wanted to know who these people are. This is why they suggested kill all the Jews, because they are the ones who do it. So when you've killed them, nothing will happen to your kingdom. So he wanted to preserve his kingdom. This is why he was doing all of this investigation. Because generally if we see somebody who's knowledgeable about Islam, what do we want? They should accept. They should become Muslim. But it's not always the case. The intention here was just investigation for worldly purpose. This is why, no matter how much he learned, he did not benefit from it. But if the intention is guidance, if the intention is to change, to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then even a little bit of information is enough. 
Aren't there so many people who don't know much about Islam, but they become Muslim? There are other people who are Orientalists. They are known as scholars, great academics. They represent Islam in conferences, in universities. They write about Islam. They are considered as great authorities on Islam. But yet they are not Muslim. It's not knowledge alone that is needed. Intention, aniyah. At the beginning of this chapter, we learned about the importance of intention, right? If the intention is correct, if the intention is of guidance, then a little bit of knowledge is also sufficient. But Allah guides the one who wants to be guided. Remember that. When Allah says that He guides whomsoever He wills, obviously, as we have learned in tafsir, what it means is that Allah guides the one who wants to be guided. Now, if you look at the teachings that Abu Sufyan mentions over here, that when Hiraqul asked him that what does he teach you? He mentions the core things that the Prophet ﷺ was teaching. Isn't it so? What does it show? That the way the Prophet ﷺ delivered the message was so clear. It was so clear that people had no doubt about that. Even the enemies, non-Muslims, they knew exactly what the Prophet ﷺ was teaching. So فَقَالَ لِلْتَرْجُمَانِ He said to his translator, قُلْ لَهُ Say to him, سَأَلْتُكَ عَنْ نَسَبِهِ فَذَكَرْتَ أَنَّهُ فِيكُمْ ذُو نَسَبٍ Tell him that I asked you about his family and your reply was that he belonged to a very noble family. فَكَذَلِكَ الرُّسُلُ تُبْعَثُ فِي نَسَبِ قَوْمِهَا Likewise, all the messengers come from noble families amongst their respective people. All the messengers, they come from which part of the society? Noble. The elite or those people with noble lineage. Any example of that? Hiraqul said that, so you should have some evidence of that. Shu'ayb Very clearly in the Quran we learn about him. Shu'ayb Because his people said to him, وَلَوْلَا رَهْتُكَ If it was not for your family, we would have finished you. We would have killed you. So he said, Rahti is my family more important to you? Or you are afraid of my family more? You know, what is my family? So Shu'ayb was also from a very noble lineage. وَسَأَلْتُكَ هَلْ قَالَ أَحَدٌ مِّنْكُمْ هَذَا الْقَوْلِ فَذَكَرْتَ أَلَّا and I asked you whether anybody else amongst you claimed such a thing and your reply was in the negative. You said no. فَقُلْتُ لَوْ كَانَ أَحَدٌ قَالَ هَذَا الْقَوْلَ قَبْلَهُ لَقُلْتُ رَجُلٌ يَأْتَسِيَ بِقَوْلٍ قِيلَ قَبْلَهُ I say that if anyone had claimed this before him, I would have said that this man was following the statement that was said before him. Meaning he is just imitating other people in order to gain power. That just as the people of the past, they said something like this, and they became very famous and very powerful, this man is trying to do the same thing. وَسَأَلْتُكَ هَلْ كَانَ مِنْ آبَائِهِ مِنْ مَلِكْ فَذَكَرْتَ أَلَّا قُلْتُ فَلَوْ كَانَ مِنْ آبَائِهِ مِنْ مَلَكٍ قُلْتُ رَجِلٌ يَطْلُبُ مُلْكَ أَبِيهِ And I asked you whether any one of his ancestors was a king, so you replied no. I say that if someone from his ancestors was a king, I would have thought that this man was seeking the kingship of his father. Meaning he wanted to claim his ancestral kingdom. That he couldn't get it back through some other means. So he came up with the idea of, you know, let me claim to be a prophet. People will believe in me. I will become very great amongst them. وَسَأَلْتُكَ هَلْ كُنْتُمْ تَتَّهِمُونَهُ بِالْكَذِبِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَقُولَ مَا قَالْ And I asked you whether you have ever accused him of telling lies before he said what he said. فَذَكَرْتَ أَلَّا And you said no. فَقَدْ أَعْرِفُ أَنَّهُ لَمْ يَكُنْ لِيَدَرَ الْكَذِبَ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَيَكْذِبَ عَلَى اللَّهِ So I know that he would not leave lies against people and lie against Allah. That how is it possible that a person who does not tell lies about people would lie about Allah? It's not possible. 
That it is only the aradil, the most despicable people amongst us who follow you. People who have no value, they're the ones who follow you. So it's the weak amongst people who generally follow the messengers. وَسَأَلْتُكَ أَيَزِيدُونَ أَمْ يَنْقُصُونَ فَذَكَرْتَ أَنَّهُمْ يَزِيدُونَ وَكَذَلِكَ أَمْرُ الْإِيمَانِ حَتَّى يَتِمُ And I asked you whether they are increasing or decreasing, so you replied that they are increasing, and in fact such is the way of true faith until it is complete. What does it mean by this? That such is the affair of true faith until it is complete. Meaning, that true faith, true iman, it begins like a light. And a light initially, it's very dim. But gradually what happens? As you keep giving the fuel, it will grow, grow, grow. Until the light will spread and it will become perfect. It will become complete. In the sense that the entire area around it will be lit by it. So such is iman. That initially there are only a few people. But then gradually, people keep accepting, accepting, accepting. Until the numbers grow and the deen is complete. Hatta yatimma, until the deen is complete. So we see that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they began as very few in Makkah. But they only increased until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayah, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينَ So when that ayah was revealed, how many people were there at Hajjat al-Wada'a? Thousands. Hatta yatim. This is true faith, that the numbers only keep increasing and increasing and increasing until the religion is complete. And this was true. وَسَأَلْتُكَ أَيَرْتَدُّ أَحَدٌ سَخْطَةً لِدِينِهِ بَعْدَ أَنْ يَدْخُلَ فِيهِ فَذَكَرْتَ أَلَّا وَكَذَلِكَ الْإِيمَانُ حِينَ تُخَالِطُ بَشَاشَةُ الْقُلُوبِ That I asked you whether anyone has ever apostatized out of displeasure for his religion after having embraced it, and you replied no. And likewise is the sign of true faith when its delight enters the heart and mixes with it completely. What does it mean by بَشَاشَةُهُ الْقُلُوبِ Bashasha, as you know it means happiness, joy. To smile, to have a smiling face, to have a happy face. When does a person smile? Or when does a person have a happy face all the time? When they are happy on the inside. When they are experiencing joy. When they are satisfied. When they are experiencing the sweetness of something. So the happiness doesn't just stay in the heart, it comes on the face as well. So what does it mean by this? That وَكَذَلِكَ الْإِيمَانُ حِينَ تُخَالِطُ بَشَاشَتُهُ الْقُلُوبِ Meaning such is iman when it mixes and blends with the heart and the heart experiences the joy. When the heart experiences the joy, the happiness of having iman, when the heart is happy, when the heart becomes happy with faith, when iman is mixed with the heart, then iman does not leave. Then iman does not leave at all. You see the munafiqeen, what do we learn about them? That a group of munafiqeen, initially they became believers. They became believers when the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina. But then soon after, they became hypocrites. مَثَلُهُمْ كَمَثَلِ الَّذِي اسْتَوْقَدَ نَارَ There was light. فَلَمَّا أَضَاءَتْ مَا حَوْلَهُ ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ There was light. And what does light refer to? Iman. Remember the example of the Ayatul Nur as well? In the Ayatul Nur also, what does the Nur refer to? Iman. So there was Iman. 
But then what happened? فَلَمَّا أَضَاءَتْ مَا حَوْلَهُ ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِ Allah took away that iman from them. So the munafiqeen, they were believers initially, but then they became hypocrites. So did iman truly enter their heart? No, it did not truly enter their heart. Because if you look at the ayah, the one that I just quoted, that فَلَمَّا أَضَاءَتْ مَا حَوْلَهُ The light only illuminated the surroundings. What does that show? That the light was very dim. It was very weak. It was not strong in the first place. Because the light was only limited. Because if iman is strong, if iman has truly entered the heart, then it doesn't leave. If it leaves, it was never there. It was never strong enough. So this is what Hiraqul says, وَكَذَارِكَ الْإِيمَانُ حِينَ تُخَالِطُ بَشَاشَتُهُ الْقُلُوبِ وَسَأَلْتُكَ هَلْ يَغْدِرُ And I asked you whether he has ever betrayed. So you replied, فَذَكَرْتَ أَلَّهِ And you said no. وَكَذَلِكَ الرُّسُلُ لَا تَغْدِرُ And likewise the messengers, they never betray. The messengers never betray. Why? Because the messengers do not desire any worldly gain. This is why they never betray. Who betrays? The one who wants dunya. Isn't it so? Like for example, the munafiqeen, يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهَ وَالَّذِينَ آمُنُوا Why is it that they were أَهْلُ الْخِدَعُ وَالْمَكْرُ Because their focus was what? Dunya. This is why when it came time to fight, they would stay behind. And when it came time to distribute the booty, they would come up. So the love of dunya is what makes a person betray and cheat others. The prophets of Allah, they never aspired for worldly gain. What did they say again and again? I do not ask you for any ajr. I do not want any ajr from you. In ajriya, illa Allah. My ajr is with Allah. So the messengers, they never betrayed. And this is exactly what Hiraqul said about them as well. وَكَذَلِكَ الرُّسُلُ لَا تَغْدِرُ And notice how Hiraqul is responding. That this is how the messengers are. This is how the messengers are. How did he know this? Because he was a Christian. He believed in the books. And in their books, they learned about messengers. And this is what he knew about the messengers. That they were honest people. They were from noble families. وَسَأَلْتُكَ بِمَا يَأْمُرُكُمْ And I asked you of what he orders you. Now before this, wasn't there a question previously mentioned that have you ever fought with him? And Hiraqal does not say anything about that over here. About the wars. Isn't it so? But it is reported in another version of the same hadith, which is in the book of Jihad in Sahih al-Bukhari. And it says that, that Hiraqal said, I asked you about the outcome of your battles with him and you told me that you fought each other with alternate success, meaning sometimes you win and sometimes they win. And he replied that the messengers are tested in this way, but the ultimate victory is always theirs. That yes, sometimes they are defeated by their enemies, but this is just a test. But ultimate victory is for the messengers. And isn't this true for the Prophet Wasallam? Exactly. Exactly. So then he said, وَسَأَلْتُكَ بِمَا يَأْمُرُكُمْ فَذَكَرْتَ أَنَّهُ يَأْمُرُكُمْ أَن تَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُ بِهِ شَيْئًا وَيَنْهَاكُمْ عَنْ عِبَادَةِ الْأَوْثَانِ وَيَأْمُرُكُمْ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالصِّدِقِ وَالْعَفَافِ Now, Hiraqul says over here, وَيَنْهَاكُمْ عَنْ عِبَادَةِ الْأَوْثَانِ And he forbids you from the worship of idols. Did Abu Sufyan say that? No. So why did Hiraqul say that? Because that's what it means. لَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Don't do any shirk with him means Worship of other than Allah. Following the forefathers in their context meant worshipping idols as well. And Hiraqal and his people, they were not worshippers of idols. But the Arabs, they used to worship idols in particular. That was their religion. They were pagans. So he was familiar with that. And this is why he says, وَيَنْهَاكُمْ عَنْ عِبَادَةِ الْأَوْثَانِ وَيَأْمُرُكُمْ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالصِّدِقِ وَالْعَفَافِ Then he says, 
if you think about it, these are the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ, right? And if you look at them, it covers everything. The enemy or the mud'u, those whom the Prophet ﷺ was calling, they got everything. Tawheed, no shirk, salat, and being good with other people. Sidq, afaf, what is afaf? Chastity, staying away from zina as well as other crimes. Having self-respect, being careful about oneself. So the message was very, very clear to them. فَإِن كَانَ مَا تَقُولُ حَقًّا So if what you have said is true, فَسَيَمْلِكُ مَوْضِعَ قَدَمَيَّهَا تَيْنَ Then very soon, he will occupy this very place beneath my feet. Where was Hiraqul at that time? In Ilya, Jerusalem. So in the area of Asham. So very soon he is going to occupy this land. Did it happen? Yes, it did. Remember the expedition to Tabuk? That was the first conflict, you can say. But obviously, there was no battle. But afterwards, Abu Bakr, he sent armies. Umar, he sent armies. And during the time of Umar, it was conquered. This entire area was conquered. وَقَدْ كُنْتُ أَعْلَمُ أَنَّهُ خَارِجٌ لَمْ أَكُنْ أَظُنُّ أَنَّهُ مِنْكُمْ And I knew that he was going to appear. How did he know? From the scriptures. Because remember that the Bani Israel, the Yahud, even they knew that the last messenger was coming. Isn't it? Which is why, وَكَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُوا يَسْتَفْتِحُونَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا So, even the Christians, they knew about the coming of the last messenger. But he says, لَمْ أَكُنْ أَظُنُّ أَنَّهُ مِنْكُمْ I did not think that he would be from you. And this is exactly what the Bani Israel thought as well. They thought that the last messenger would be from among them, not from the Arabs. So, Hiraqul also shows his Surprise over here. فَلَوْ أَنِّي أَعْلَمُ أَنِّي أَخْلُصُ إِلَيْهِ لَتَدَشَّمْتُ لِقَاءَهُ If you think about it, Hiraqul, yes, he did not believe. But did he acknowledge the fact that yes, Muhammad ﷺ was the Prophet? Yes, he did. But we see that there are many people who don't even acknowledge that he was the Messenger. And in fact, what, what have they done? That they have further altered their books to even hide the characteristics, the information of the Prophet ﷺ. But we see that the Christians of that time, even they knew. The Yehud of that time, even they knew. Both of them knew. So he says that if I knew I could reach him, I would go out of my way to meet him. لَتَجَشَّمْتُ لِقَاءَهُ And فَلَوْ أَنِّي أَعْلَمُ أَنِّي أَخْلُصُ إِلَيْهِ لَتَجَشَّمْتُ لِقَاءَهُ وَلَوْ كُنْتُ عِنْدَهُ لَغَسَلْتُ عَنْ قَدَمَيْهِ And if I were with him, I would certainly wash his feet. Why does he say this? What does it show? His extreme humility. And it shows that perhaps Allahu A'lam, He did have an inclination to accept. He did have an inclination to accept, which is why later on He invited His nobles to accept. But when they did not accept, then He changed His mind as well. So these words, what do they show? His extreme humility. It shows the love that He had for the Prophet ﷺ, even though He hadn't met Him. And we see that later on He sent a gift for the Prophet ﷺ as well. Later on, in the Prophet's life, after this event, he sent some gold to the Prophet ﷺ, which he divided amongst his companions. And so anyway, perhaps he did have some inclination, but again, inclination alone is not enough. Intention alone is not enough. It has to be followed up by action. And why does he say this? That if I could reach him, I would wash his feet. Why? Okay, he's expressing extreme humility. As we know that at this time, his uh, notables were there. His uh, dignitaries were there. The ascetics were there. The priests were there. So he's showing his humility before all of them. Yes. But why would he say this in particular, that I would wash his feet? 
Yes, that exactly. That when you wash someone's feet, you are their servant. You understand? You are under them. They are above you. You acknowledge, you accept their supremacy above you. That their status is higher than yours. So in a way, Hiraqul is hinting that. But what happened? What happened later? He changed his mind. That we see that at this time, it's as though he almost had faith, which is why he's expressing such humility at his tongue. But later on, when dunya came before him, changed his mind. Abu Talib also, he would say that, I know that the best religion is the religion of Muhammad wasallam. He would say words in praise of the religion of Islam, but he never accepted. Once you have the intention of doing something, and you're also inclined internally to do it, do it right away. Don't delay. Because if you delay, you might change your mind. You know, like for example, you see an opportunity to help someone. And you think in your mind, yes, I can help them in this way. I can help them in that way. Go do it right away. Because if you sleep on it, then what's going to happen? The next day you'll be like, you know, it's okay. I helped that person before. And I don't think I can help everybody. And, you know, I'm too busy. One excuse or the other will come. Or you'll forget. Or that same level of iman won't be there. That same enthusiasm won't be there. Because you see, we are human beings and we have emotions. And the high that we feel at one point is due to certain circumstances that have come together. Like for example, you're sitting in a Qur'an class, you're listening to the ayat, you're studying the ayat, you yourself are going through something similar. You know, you have that situation in your life. And when you hear those ayat, the way they affect you at that time, you can't have the same effect when you are perhaps memorizing those ayat. Isn't it so? Like as you were having your hips test, many of you were revising and I was listening. And I was amazed at how some people were reciting the Qur'an. There were ayat about hellfire and they were, you know, as if in a competition and laughing at a certain point. And I was listening and I was like, how can you laugh at the same time when you're reciting this? But because we are human beings, we don't feel, I mean, I'm not saying it's okay to laugh. Not at all. Not at all. And there's something that I would like to remind all of you. That as you're memorizing, remember the purpose behind it. Don't forget that. Why are you memorizing? Why are you memorizing? Just so that you have the 30 days memorized? Is that the goal? No, the goal is to recite it in salah. When you recite it in salah, do you just want to lead other people in salah or recite yourself in salah so that you can have khushur and you can cry before Allah? If that's the goal, then as you're memorizing as well, don't forget that goal. And don't forget the meaning of the ayat as you're reciting them. So anyway, the point over here is that the state of our heart, you know, it depends on many, many situations that have come together, many circumstances that have come together. So if you have the inclination to do something at a point, then do it. Don't delay. Because if you delay, and if you think about it, and if you say, I'm going to research more about it, I'm going to investigate more about it, then what's going to happen? You're going to forget. Isn't it so? You will forget. It won't be as important to you anymore. So anyway, Hiraqul said these words which show his humility, which show the admiration that he had for the Prophet ﷺ. And then, ثُمَّ دَعَى بِكِتَابِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَلَّذِي بَعَثَ بِهِ دِحْيَةُ إِلَىٰ عَظِيمِ بُسْرَىٰ Then he asked for the letter sent by the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, which was delivered by Dihya to who? To the governor of Busra. And فَدَفَعَهُ إِلَىٰ هِرَقْلَ And he, meaning the governor of Busra, he forwarded that letter to who? Hiraql. فَقَرَأَهُ Then he read it. فَإِذَا فِيهِ Then in it was the letter. But before we read the letter, just one thing. 
that the Prophet ﷺ sent Dihya with the letter to Hiraqul. And when was this? At the end of the sixth year after Hijrah. And he reached in the month of Muharram, in the beginning of seventh year after Hijrah. Where did he reach? Busra. And when he got to Busra, he delivered the letter to, to who? The governor of Busra. And his name was Al-Harith ibn Shimr al-Ghassani. And he's also known as the king of Ghassan. He's also known as the king of Ghassan, but he was also the governor of Busra. And then this man, Al-Harith ibn Shimr al-Ghassani, he forwarded the letter to Hiraqul. How did he forward the letter? It's not as clear as to how he forwarded it. Some say that he sent a person, and we don't know who exactly he sent. Whoever he sent, Allahu A'lam, one of his own men. Some have said that he sent the Sahabi Dihya, radiallahu anhu, along with Adi ibn Hatim. Adi ibn Hatim was a Christian at that time. Later on, he embraced Islam. And some say that Adi ibn Hatim alone was sent. So who did he send to Hiraqul? Who did he send? Dihya, radiallahu anhu, or Adi ibn Hatim, or someone we don't know, or it was the both of them. Allahu A'lam. But anyway, he forwarded the letter to Hiraqul. The question is, why didn't Dihya go directly to Hiraqul? Why do you think so? Who was Hiraqul? The king of the Roman Empire. It's not easy. It's not easy. And the thing is that if you want, like for example, if you want to send a message, you want to send a letter to, let's say, the principal of a school. One is that you send it on an email that you find on the website. You don't know whether they received it. You don't know whether they forwarded it. But you don't know how else to contact them. The other is that you know somebody who works at the school so that you can give it to them and they can pass it on. So when they pass it on, aren't there higher chances of your letter getting to the principal? Yes. And getting a response as well. And more attention as well. Very true. Because if you send it directly, the principal might say, oh, I don't know who this, who this random person is. They're sending this email, forget about it, ignore it. They, you know, they put it in their, in some folder and they forget about it. But if you send it through a teacher, through a person, a person brings it in, there's more people involved, more attention is given. So he delivered the letter to the king of Ghassan. Allahu A'lam, but it's quite possible he was prevented from going himself. Allahu A'lam, we don't know. So anyway, فَقَرَأَهُ فَإِذَا فِيهِ So he read the letter and in the letter was بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ Now this is the letter of the Prophet ﷺ. Okay? This is the letter of the Prophet ﷺ. مِن مُحَمَّدٍ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ From Muhammad, the servant of Allah and his messenger. Look at how the Prophet ﷺ mentions himself. Muhammad who is the servant of Allah. There is no shame in being the servant of Allah and the messenger of Allah. Ilahi Rakla Alim Rum to Hiraqul, who is the Alim, the king of Rome, of the Romans. He doesn't say Mim Muhammad Alim al Arab. No, he doesn't say that. He says from Muhammad, the servant of Allah and his messenger to Hiraqul, Alim al Rum. And notice how the Prophet acknowledges the worldly position of Hiraqul. Unfortunately, we think that when we become more religious, then we are supposed to disrespect other people. We are supposed to not acknowledge the you know, level, the status of other people. The Prophet ﷺ is acknowledging the fact that Hiraqul was the king of Ar-Rum. 
And he mentions that. There's no harm in doing so. He says, Salamun ala man al-huda. Peace be on him who follows guidance. Why does he say Salamun ala man al-huda? What is this sentence doing over here? What's the purpose of mentioning the sentence? Basically as greeting. When you write to someone, it's only moral, it's only proper that you greet them. Isn't it so? But Hiraqul was not a Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ wrote, Salamun ala man al-huda. He did not write, As-salamu alaykum. Many people, it happens with them that when they come across a non-Muslim, they say, hi, and then they say, As-salamu alaykum, and then they don't know how to greet them. They don't know how to respond to their greeting. There is confusion generally amongst people. Isn't it so? Can you say salam to them? Can you respond to their greeting or not? There is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars with regards to this. But if you see over here, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is that he said, Salamun ala man al-huda. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught the same etiquette to his two messengers, Musa salam and Harun salam. When he sent both of them to Fir'aun, in Surah Taha, Ayah 47, we learn, فَأْتِيَاهُ فَقُولَا إِنَّا رَسُولَا رَبِّكَ فَأَرْسِلْ مَعَنَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلُ وَلَا تُعَذِّبُهُمْ قَدْ جِئْنَاكَ بِآيَةٍ مِنْ رَبِّكَ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى مَنِ اتَّبَعَ الْهُدَى So some scholars say that, look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told his messengers to say, وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى مَنِ اتَّبَعَ الْهُدَى The sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu Good morning, good evening, whatever you say to them. But when it comes to the Islamic greeting, then you use this one. Which one? As-salamu ala man al-huda. And just by coincidence, I was listening to a lecture by Yasir Qadi. And uh, he was addressing a non-Muslim audience. And as he came to the microphone, he said, As-salamu ala man al-huda. And he started his speech. So I got a verification for that as well. So anyway, this is one way that we can greet non-Muslims. Some Scholars that disagree with regards to this and they say that no, you can say assalamu alaikum to non-Muslims as well. There is no harm in that. As long as you know that, you know, they are not hostile towards Muslims. In Medina, when the Jews, when they would come to the Prophet ﷺ, to the Muslims, what would they say? Assalamu alaikum. Right? Why? Because they were enemies to Muslims. So in that case, you don't initiate the greeting to them. And when they do greet you, what do you say? Wa alaikum. And that was a response that the Prophet ﷺ gave. Isn't it so? So other scholars said that when you know that someone is not an enemy to you, they are at good terms with you, they could be your family members, they could be your co-workers, you know, they respect you as a Muslim. And because they respect you as a Muslim, whenever they see you, whenever they greet you, instead of saying hello, hi to you, they say assalamu alaikum, then there is no harm in saying wa alaikum assalam. So they say it's permissible with a condition. And we see that once Sufyan ibn Uyayna, he was asked whether a Muslim can salute a non-Muslim with salam, and he replied that yes. And he quoted the saying of Allah in Surah Mumtahina, ayah number 8, that لَا يَنْهَاكُمُ اللَّهُ عَنِ الَّذِينَ لَمْ يُقَاتِلُوكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ وَلَمْ يُخْرِجُوكُمْ مِنْ دِيَارِكُمْ أَن تَبَرُّوهُمْ وَتُقْسِطُوا إِلَيْهِمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُقْسِطِينَ so Allah does not forbid you from being good to these people, those who do not fight you, those who do not oppose you, who have not expelled you. So non-Muslims who are in good terms with you, there's no harm in being good with them. And part of being good to someone is greeting them. You understand? Now other scholars say that, no, no, you can say salam to non-Muslims, whether they are hostile or they're not hostile, there's no harm. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Zukhruf, Ayah 89, فَصْفَحْ عَنْهُمْ وَقُلْ سَلَامٌ فَسَوْفَ Similarly in Surah Qasas, Ayah 55, we learn, وَإِذَا سَمِعُوا اللَّهُ وَأَعْرَضُوا عَنْهُ وَقَالُوا لَنَا أَعْمَالُنَا وَلَكُمْ أَعْمَالُكُمْ 
سلام علیکم لان بتقل جاهلین and there are so many ayat ibrahim alayhi salam he said to his father salam so many evidences we find from the quran in which a believer was an enemy to a non-believer meaning there was some enmity between them yet the believer says what salam alaykum but what do you know about that salam that salam is of mutaraka or tahiyya mutaraka mutaraka what does that mean from tark of leaving of farewell that you mind your own business i mind my own business you are at peace with me see you and the salam of tahiyya is that when you meet someone you greet them with assalamu alaykum if you look at all of these contexts in which these ayat are revealed all of them what do they show conflict fasfah anhum wa qul salam fasawfa ya'lamun isn't it so wa idha sami'u al-lagwa a'radu anhu wa qalu lana a'maluna wa lakum a'malukum salamun alaykum lana butaghil jahilin so all of these contexts they are of conflict so this salam is of mutaraka and not Now, what should you do? I presented you both sides. What should you do? First of all, personally, I'll tell you what I do. If I meet a non-Muslim, I generally say hello or hi to them, whether in writing or in person, that's what I do. Because that's what they're more familiar with as well. Perhaps they will feel more comfortable that way as well. If they say salam to you, then there's no harm in saying wa alaykum salam. If you don't want to say wa alaykum salam, wa alaykum, because the Prophet ﷺ did that. Imam Awza'i, he said, if you say salam to the non-Muslims, then surely some pious people did the same. And if you don't, indeed some pious people did the same. But just make up your mind as to what you're going to do. Don't look confused over there. The other person is standing there waiting for you to say something and you're like, As-salamu uh, alaykum. No, make up your mind. And make that your habit as well. Because living in this country, I mean, obviously you come across so many people. You can also use the English translation when they're more curious. You can say that to them. Because they say that you're not supposed to initiate greeting the non-Muslims. This is what they say. That you don't even say hi or hello to them. Don't be the first one to say that. Because they say that you're not supposed to initiate greeting the non-Muslims. However, this opinion is based on the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ told the companions when they were going to the Ahlul Kitab in Medina, the Yehud in Medina. And they were basically going for a conflict. Now when you go for a conflict, you don't say hi, hello. Okay? So some generalize that incident and others say that no, it's only specific to that context. Anyway, there is a very good paper on this issue on suhaibweb.com. I want all of you to read it. Honestly, it will really open up your mind on whether or not we're allowed to greet the non-Muslims. If you just do a Google search, perhaps it will be the first result that you see. Okay, on suhaibweb.com. S-U-H-A-I-B-W-E-B-B.com. So anyway... The Prophet ﷺ, what did he say to Hiraqul? Salamun ala man al-huda. Because in a way he's also inviting him. May peace be on the one who follows guidance. And he says, Amma ba'du. As for after that. Many times when you hear the khutbah, the khatib says, Amma ba'd. What does it mean? Amma as for, ba'du after. Meaning after this khutbah, now, like we say anyway, فَإِنِّي أَدْعُوكَ بِدِعَايَةِ الْإِسْلَامِ I invite you with the invitation to Islam. Meaning I invite you to accept Islam. To the call of Islam. And what is that? What is the call of Islam? The call which identifies with Islam, which is bearing witness that there is no deity but Allah and that Muhammad wasallam is the messenger of Allah. So the shahadatayn. Aslim taslam. Submit and you shall be safe. Now what does it mean by this? Aslim taslam. Submit and you shall be safe. Meaning your life will be spared. Not necessarily or not only that meaning. What it means by aslim taslam is that submit 
and you shall be safe in this dunya and in the akhirah. Both. You shall be saved in this dunya and in the akhirah. Aslim taslam. And you see when you say assalamu alaykum, what does it mean? May the salam be upon you, may peace be upon you. But that is only for who? For the one who accepts Islam, right? So, aslim taslam. Not la taslim and taslam. No. Aslim and taslam. When a person submits, then he is saved in this dunya and akhirah. When we say assalamu alaykum, do you see what I mean? So this is why some scholars say it's not appropriate to say salam to the non-Muslims. But other scholars say that there's no harm. Another very interesting incident once that happened was that somebody said assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah to a non-Muslim. And somebody was there and they said, wa rahmatullah, you said that to them? How could you say that? I mean, okay, assalamu alaykum, understandable. Why wa rahmatullah? He said, isn't he already in the mercy of Allah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ar-Rahman. And he is merciful to even those who don't believe. So anyway, aslim taslam. يُؤْتِكَ اللَّهُ أَجْرَكَ مَرَّتَيْنَ Allah will give you your reward twice. Allah will give you double reward. Double reward for what? Two reasons. First of all, he is a Christian. When a person from Ahlul Kitab embraces Islam, he gets double reward. Why double reward? One reward for believing in their messenger, like for example, Isa a.s. And the second reward for believing in the Prophet ﷺ. And secondly, why in the case of Hiraqul, rewarded twice? Because first of all, for his own acceptance. And secondly, that when he would become Muslim, his people would follow him. So he would also get their reward for becoming Muslim. فَإِنْتَ وَلَّيْتَ This is exactly what the Prophet ﷺ says. فَإِنْتَ وَلَّيْتَ فَإِنَّ عَلَيْكَ إِسْمَ الْأَرِيسِيِّينَ And if you reject this invitation to Islam, then you will also carry the sin of misguiding your subjects, your peasants. You will have the sin of leading them astray. Because people follow the religion of who? Of their leaders. So he was a leader. Whatever he would do, people would follow them. So anyway, the Prophet ﷺ also warned him. And then, وَيَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ أَلَّا نَعْبُدَ إِلَّا اللَّهَ وَلَا نُشْرِكَ بِهِ شَيْئًا وَلَا يَتَّخِذَ بَعْضُنَا بَعْضًا أَرْبَابًا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَقُولُوا شَهَدُوا بِأَنَّا مُسْلِمُونَ that Allah has said in the Qur'an that, O oh people of the scripture, come to a word that is equitable between us and you, that we will not worship except Allah and not associate anything with Him. And not take one another as lords instead of Allah, but if they turn away, then say, bear witness that we are Muslims submitting to Him. So the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this as well. When was this ayah revealed? Do you remember? We studied this in Surah Ali Imran, where many ayats with regards to, especially the Christians, are mentioned. Who came? The delegation from? The Christians of Najran. In what year was that? The year of delegations? Ninth year after Hijrah was when the delegation from Najran came. And that was when this ayah was revealed. What year is this? Seventh year after Hijrah. And when the Prophet ﷺ wrote the letter, it was sixth year after Hijrah. So how come this ayah is mentioned over there? The Prophet ﷺ wrote this. And then later on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayah in Affirmation to exactly what he said. وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ The Prophet ﷺ did not speak out of his own whim, out of his own desire. At this point, this ayah had not been revealed. But whatever the Prophet ﷺ said, whatever he wrote, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed it later because it was actually part of the Qur'an. So what does it show? That even in the statements of the Prophet ﷺ, even in his words, in the letters that he wrote, he did not speak out of his own desire. He spoke whatever Allah taught him, whatever Allah inspired to him, whether it was wahi matlu at that point, or ghair matlu. 
at this point, we can understand this as غير مطلو, but later on it was مطلو. So anyway, this was a letter of the Prophet ﷺ. What lessons do we learn from this letter? Inshallah, we will discuss in our next class. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.